Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Welcome to CBC this morning, everybody. My name is Charlie. I'm the senior pastor. If you're in the room, what's going on live or later on, I hope you're enjoying your day. We're in a series on Romans 8, but like every week before we get into the text, we're going to set our hearts right. We say it, we say it, we say it, and we say it. We live in a really critical culture, and the difference between the culture and the church is oftentimes that we're trying not to break down where people go wrong, but say, where is God moving and find it? And so this morning, we're going to open some scriptures. Because God is good, because God is near, and because the Holy Spirit will speak to the people of God. We're in a series on the life in the Spirit, and this is week two, and I'm excited to ask the question each and every week, where is the Spirit guiding us and teaching us? How is the Spirit of God showing us more of the goodness of God? And so today, you get the opportunity to come into this place or watch online and ask the question, what is God saying to us? So we're going to spend just a couple seconds in prayer, I'll ask if you're comfortable that you say a prayer quietly to yourself, just that the Spirit speaks to us, and we begin to contribute to the conversation of faith. So let's pray together. God, I'm thankful to be in this space, that we can come here and ask the simple question, what are you teaching us? Where are you moving? Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning as we open the scriptures. That's alive and that's active and that's given to us by a near God, not a far away Meet us where we're at this morning because you always do. If you're comfortable, just take a couple seconds and ask that the Holy Spirit might speak to your spirit this morning. I also ask you to pray for me that God uses the preparation and the scriptures to paint a picture of his goodness this morning. God, we're thankful to be here, be with us as we open some scripture today and speak to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Romans 8 where we're going to be. We finished last week in verse 9. And today's scriptures 
really what they do is they remind us of, of one of the main stories in the Bible. The Bible is a bunch of books put together over about 2,500 years. And there are different stories that we tell. There are stories of creation and there are stories of brothers and sisters. This summer we're going to be in the story of the wanderings of the Israelites in the book of Numbers. There are different stories. But in the middle of those stories, there are major ones that we keep coming back to. Here's the deal. I think that we are inundated with story in our culture. So, for example, let's just look at how many advertisements we see a day. I was reading a study that said in 1970, in 1970, the average person saw somewhere between 500 and 1,600 ads a day. Think about that. That's in 1970. That is before the internet and before Charlie. Okay, that is a long time. I don't even know how you see that many ads in 1970. That's a lot of carrier pigeons. Okay, I don't know. I just insulted a bunch of people. I don't know how it would even work. Fast forward, I'm, I'm going on paternity leave in like a week and a half. It's wheels off between now and then, everybody. Fast forward to 2006, and the same study said that the average person sees about 500 or 5,000 advertisements a day. And then one done last year said the average person sees somewhere between eight and 10,000 advertisements a day. That's a lot. And here's why that's a lot. It's because advertisements aren't just advertisements anymore. Marketing 101 is don't sell a product, sell a story. That's why car commercials are Matthew McConaughey in some West Texas village staring at a bull. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with Buick? But it does. That's why let's keep the McConaughey thread going. When you eat a Dorito, it's not just about a chip. It's about it'll fulfill your entire life. It's in 3D now, you know? We don't just sell products. We sell entire stories. And in the middle of that, sometimes the ones that matter more than others get lost. Sometimes the ones that are woven throughout all the stories get diluted. Today is one of the stories where we remember a fundamental truth of our faith. Because Paul just established this incredible idea within his vulnerability. He said in the last verses, I failed to do what I want to do sometimes. I'm not the perfect Christian or Christ follower. I need help. And in those moments, what he called us to do in verses 1 through 8 and 9 is Remember who we are. Your identity is shaping who you're becoming. So in those moments of vulnerability, when you don't meet up to your expectation or God's expectation of you, what do we do in those moments? We remember who we are. That's why it says in verse 9, read it with me as you follow along. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. <clears throat> if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. Let, let me tell you what he's not doing here. He's not using this as a litmus test. When it says if there, that's the way they write in the original language, it means since. So he's saying since you are in the spirit, not the flesh, you have the spirit of God. He's telling them, he's reminding them who they are. Because we need to be reminded who we are often. I, for a little while, lived in San Francisco and I led a small team there. And there's this, this is by far like the hippiest restaurant I've ever been to in my life. It was a raw vegan restaurant, and most people are thinking, why? It was a raw vegan restaurant, and what that means is, not only was it all vegan, but they didn't, they didn't expose anything to heat, so it was all raw food. And the dishes there were characteristics, and so I took my team, and before we went, I said, we have to list out things we like about each other, you know, like patient or kind or courageous, and those corresponded with some dishes on the menu. And then you had to order one of the three that we said you were, right? So you go to this place. 
and you'd order the kind or the beautiful or the compassionate and they would bring you your food and they would look you, you could not get out of this I tried they'd look you in the eye and they'd say you are beautiful and they hand you your food right they say you are kind and, and like I, I Look, man, nobody there really loved Jesus outside of our, our little team. I'm just like, okay, all right, fantastic. It was a really beautiful moment of being reminded who we are because it's really easy to forget because the truth is what Paul's fighting in the beginning of this text is that it's easy to forget the things that we know. And so he begins this text, this story that, we, that weaves throughout all the stories of the Scripture, and he reminds people of their identity because it's easy to forget what we know we believe. And, and, and conversely, it's really easy to believe things that aren't true, right? I was studying this week, and I looked up. I'm in my chair upstairs in my office, and I see one ant walking on my windowsill. And I killed it, because, you know, look at me. And then I look up, and I see another ant walking. For the next hour and a half, I swore to you, I had ants crawling up and down my body, right? Never found one. It's easy to believe things that aren't true. And Paul reminds people at the very beginning, here's your identity. You are not in the flesh because you trust Jesus. You are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit because the spirit of God lives in you. If people don't trust Jesus, they don't have the spirit of God living in them. There's a couple phrases in here that are huge. One, he says, you are in the spirit. And so what he does is he really makes this case that there's the eternal security of the Holy Spirit, meaning that there's nothing you can do to outrun the Holy Spirit's presence in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. He's saying that if you follow Jesus, there's not a point in which God says, this is too much and I'm out. It's the eternal security of the Spirit. And the scripture is pretty clear because this is a really important topic, that we can't lose our salvation we might lose the joy of our salvation, right? There's a difference there. Psalm 51, David is in the middle of something really bad that he did. And he writes in that psalm, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He doesn't say, God save me again. <laughs> There's a difference between losing salvation and the joy of salvation. I have a buddy of mine who loves coffee. He got COVID in December. He still can't taste coffee. He still drinks it. He didn't lose coffee, right? He lost the joy of coffee with twins that are under six months old, okay? So my point is simply when the text says you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, some of us need to hear that we have the Holy Spirit and stop, period. You are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. And then he says, because the Spirit of God lives in you. Big phrase there. Every once in a while, we have to stop down and understand the magnitude of what's being written. This is one of those. Because up until this point, that had never been done before. The way God related to his people was different before Jesus than it was after Jesus. The story of God and his people in the Old Testament, if you know it, like I said, will be in it this summer, is where God showed up and was around his people, but indwelling was never a thing. And if it actually happened, it was really limited and it was unlikely. So in this text, when Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you, the idea of the spirit of God living in the people of God is absolutely a construct that they didn't know that God had for his people. The idea of the spirit of God indwelling the people of God was a game changer. That's why 
when people tell me, man, I just wish I could have lived in the time of Jesus, I think, no, you don't. Because one, you know, you walk a mule down a road in July in Israel and tell me that you don't miss central air, okay? Two, even Jesus says that the people of God that are indwelled by the Spirit of God is better. He said in John 16, he said, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus. You see your advantage that I'm going away. If I don't go away, the advocate, the Spirit, will not come. But when I do go away, I will send him to you. So Paul starts by saying, here is your identity that can't be taken away, that is in me, because I give you the Spirit of God, this massive difference between how God relates to his people. We are a people that are indwelled with the very presence of God. Huge difference. Monumental shift in how he related to his people. And then he goes on in our text to say, but in Christ, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is your life because of righteousness. He says, if Christ is in you, again, that's one of those words that means since Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. If you know Romans, Paul is putting on a little gospel boot camp for the people in Rome. And what I mean by that is, I have not been to a boot camp. I've watched documentaries and talked to people, and they tell me that one of the things that happens is they break you down to build you up. That's what Paul does in Romans. He spends the first six chapters telling people just how awful they are and telling people what they need. Let me read some snippets for you. I mean, we all know the big one, right? Like, so in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short. In Romans 1, he, he kicks off his book, and he talks about all humanity, because this book had two factions fighting against each other, the Jewish believers in Rome and the Gentile believers in Rome. So he starts by saying, let me talk about all people, not one group. And he says this, God gave them over, humanity. God gave humanity over to a depraved mind. So they do not do what ought to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent new ways of doing evil. This is how he's talking about humanity. And just so we're on the same page here, you're going to read that and say, I know people like that. Man, they're horrible. He's talking about you. He's talking about us. All of our capacity to run from God, to run from good into what is not good. He goes a little farther in chapter 3, and he quotes Psalm 32. He talks about how our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, and we always want to shed blood, and ruin and misery are in our paths. He, he paints a picture of the depravity of man apart from God that leads to one place and one place only, death. So he says in our text, if Christ is in you, the body is dead. He's painting this picture in his gospel. He's painting this picture in his letter that, that the ways of the world before Jesus, before the Spirit, leads to one place and one place only. It leads to death. There's a Scottish theologian from the 18th century, and he talks about death in three different terms. He said there's three different ways people experience death. One is in the day-to-day, -day, and this is kind of depressing, but it means that, hey, your first breath was one breath closer to death than, than the one before you. So we literally are dying every day. We're closer to the time when we die. The second death, is when you actually physically die in this world. And the third death is when you spiritually die, if you don't know Jesus. 
And really, when you think about it, it's pretty depressing, but pretty true. There's deaths along the way to the ultimate death. When Paul talks about death, he, he means all three of those. The death that we experience every day because of the weight of sin, the death we experience at the end of life because of the consequence of sin, and the death ultimately we experience if we don't get God forever because of our sin. And, and when he talks about at the end of this, that not just death, but the Spirit brings life, if indeed you have the Spirit, the Spirit brings life where death couldn't. He talks about the same construct. He paints this picture that if we live in Christ and have the Spirit, then we no longer are susceptible to or we are no longer overcome by those three ways that we might die. I love what uh, Colossians 4.16 says. Sec no, sorry, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, We do not despair, but even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. So what our text says, this is one of my favorite parts. It's one of those stories we hold on to amongst all the other stories of the gospel. It says, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. It's this idea that we have life because of what God did. See, Ephesians 2 mantra, if somebody asked me to give you two words on the gospel, I, I might just stop with, but God, in spite of us, but God. Not because of me and my job and my kids and my fill in the blank, but God, when I wasn't, God decided to act. And so where there was death in this life, now we're being renewed day by day. Where there was death at the end of life, Paul goes on to say in other letters, death does not define followers of Jesus anymore. And so he says, death, where is your sting? He needs to have a bigger picture perspective of the pain that we feel in the here and now. And then ultimately he's going to say, Death doesn't apply to us in the end because we are alive in Christ. So after this life. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit is to believers. It's the promise of life to come. Ephesians 1 says it like this. And you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit for believers is the down payment on the glory of eternity. Saying one day we will be where we, where we want to be now. I liken it often to an engagement ring. When I proposed to my wife, it was me telling everybody else, I won, you lost, back away, everybody, you know? It was my way of saying, this is mine forever. It was my way of saying, we will spend eternity together. It's my way of saying, I see things that other people don't see. So when we talk about the life in the spirit, what this verse reminds us of, it reminds us of the bigness of the life that comes from Jesus, that we share because of the Spirit and righteousness, not because of us. And it's hard there. We all know that. That's the gospel. It's hard there. Sometimes we forget how big it is. And so Paul goes on to say, just in case you don't forget the next verse, he says, moreover, if the Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead and he lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through the Spirit who lives in you. So then he says, if the Spirit rose Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit lives in you. Just in case we doubt the ability of the Spirit to overcome the other things, their influences in our world, he said there's nothing that's too big for the power of the Spirit because he already rose Jesus from the dead. I need that reminder, you know? I need the reminder the Spirit of God that lives in me is bigger than all the other things that try to overtake me. I need that reminder. It reminds me of 
my my favorite sports teams are college-wise. Are I'm a Texas fan. Hook them, right? And it's a really terrible, terrible fan base to follow right now because it's just full of disappointment. But also a Cowboys fan, so there's a theme. So I, um, I remember a game, this is back in the day, in the year they won their national championship with Vince Young. And they were playing at Oklahoma State. And they were on the road, and they were losing at halftime. They were losing 28 to 12. Not a good place to be, right? And I remember, <laughs> uh, this stands out so clearly still. And, and they run into the locker room, and one of the halftime reporters stops Mac Brown, the coach, and says, hey, do you, do you think you're going to lose? And he laughs and said, no. And they said, are you afraid at all? And he laughs and he says, no. And they said, how? You're behind by this much. And he said, we have Vince Young. And he just goes into the locker room, right? If you don't know, Vince Young is one of the best college football players ever. They were down 28 to 12. The first play of the second half, Vince Young took the snap and ran 80 yards for a touchdown. They won like 56 to 28. He put up 506 yards. Nobody saw it but Mac Brown because he knew the power and the influence of his quarterback. Paul is saying here in the middle of this, this is who you are, know it. He's saying, this is why you are who you are, believe it. And then he's saying, understand the power that comes with the Spirit of God, because it raised Jesus from the dead. It's this beautiful story of the power of God in the people of God. And that's what we oftentimes call the gospel, that Jesus died so that we might have life. Paul doesn't stop there. Verse 12, he said, then brothers and sisters... We are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the Spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I love this word, obligation. I don't know if we do a great job understanding that word. I think obligation, and I think like taking out the trash. It's never something I want to do, but something I need to do. I think obligation, I think unloading the dishwasher. I think obligation, I think fill in the blank here of tedious chores that might not be something I want to do, but something I know that I need to do. And you know, so oftentimes when we talk about the ways of Jesus, that's how it's framed. Me growing up, that's how it was framed. Might not love the ways of God, but they're good for you. So take your pill, take your medicine and do it anyway. It's a gospel that says Jesus is good for you, and if you don't see it, follow it. It's a gospel that says that you're an obligation to follow God because, and here's the problem with that, is so often we teach a gospel of shame and then a gospel of grace. We teach a gospel that said, do it anyway because God wants you to, instead of the beauty behind why we get to do it in the first place. That word obligation doesn't mean uh, an indebtedness. It does, but it also means like... Uh, the beauty of your duty. What it does is, is it takes us from a place of duty to delight in why we follow. Because there's a difference between action motivated by shame and action motivated by grace. And every time Paul talks about it, for some theological terms, it's justification, sanctification, he's tying the two together, and he's saying that our sanctification is always motivated by the depth of our understanding of our justification. He's saying literally that you follow Jesus because you see the beauty of his grace. That's a better way to live saying we follow Jesus because we understand the verses before this one. Not just follow because you have to, follow because you get to. I had a, a guy I knew as a youth pastor for a while, and he took kids to a camp every year. And one of the things you have to do when you take kids to a camp every year is you have to go over the rules with them. You have to. You have to. Because even though they know things are right and wrong, if you don't say it to them, they'll tell you, I didn't know. Yes, you did. 
And so he would sit down every year and he had a rule sheet. It's the first time I've seen this, but instead of a rule sheet, he called it the get to list, you know? So he said things like, you get to wake up at 7 a.m. with everybody else. Yay, you know? You, you get to never go into girls' dorms because they're gross. You get to, I mean, he filled in the blank with instead of you have to out of obligation, you get to out of duty and delight. It changes how and why we follow Jesus in the first place. One motivated by shame, the other motivated by an understanding of what God did for us in the power of his presence and the beauty of his spirit. We follow God because of his beauty and his love and his goodness. But buddy, my who recently has made a decision in his life to, to stop drinking. It's a good decision for him. It needed to happen. And we were hanging out. And sometimes, you know, we'd get together and have a beer or two. And I no longer am going to drink around my friend anymore, right? And he feels really badly about that. And he's like, you can't, I want you to. I don't want you to change for me. And I'm like, no, it's not, you understand. It's not something I don't want to do. I get to. I have a duty to. It's, it's delightful for me to change I get to put that part of my life when I'm around you to death because there's something better and more beautiful. When Paul talks about the obligation that we have to follow, the obligation that we have to live into the ways of Jesus, it's out of delight, not duty, because we understand the depth of what he did. So he says, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his own spirit because he lives in you. So then you're under an obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But the spirit that you put to death and the deeds of the body, if you put those things to death, you will live. And there's our theme that's woven throughout. Death to life. See, sometimes we think as we follow Jesus, as we have all these stories of kings and queens and family and numbers and Leviticus, which is just nap time for most people when you read the scriptures, when you, when you go through these things and all these stories, you forget some of the big ones. So we tell the story of a gospel where Jesus died so that you can live, but it's not just that. The story of the gospel is not just Jesus died so that you can live. The story of the gospel is Jesus died so that we can die every day so that we might find life. The story of the gospel is one where we put to death things every day so that we might find more life every day. Death to life isn't just what saves us, it's what sanctifies us. And we know that we need it because we're surrounded by stories and, and stuff, to be frank with you. That's why there's books out there right now called The Power of No, which is a bestseller. That's why Marie Kondo gets up there and says, kill all the sweaters you don't like and your life is going to be better, you know? Get rid of them, get rid of them right now. There is a need that we have to kill things so that things we love might pop up because growth needs space to grow in the first place. So Paul says, this idea of death and life, this idea of resurrection, wasn't just for Jesus, it is for all of us. So he says, put these things to death so that you finally might live. That's why this overwhelming theme that the story of spirit-filled followers of Jesus is one of resurrection. We die to live. Every day. One writer said the resurrection life is dying and rising day by day, moment by moment, through the power of the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And so, quite simply, one of the stories we need to remember is where are we dying so that we might truly live? And sometimes it's easy Sometimes it hurts. But then we remember that we have the power of the Spirit living in us to motivate us, <laughs> to help us, to pull us through, to overcome. 
because the story of the scriptures is one where death always leads to life. That's just not a one-time thing. That is an everyday thing. And so today, we ask a very simple question. What are we putting to death so that we might live? It's a hard one, but it's a necessary one. Because our gospel is a story of redemption, death to life, resurrection, and that happens every single day. And so it might be time commitments, and it might be different things we do with or without our family. It might be saying no some more to things. I can't answer that question for you, but I can ask it. And in the middle of that, say the power of the Spirit is in you to move you from death to life. That we are a community of people that die so that we might live each and every day. Because in doing that, we get to remind people what's truly valuable. Because every time as a community, we sacrifice for the greater good, we remind people what the greater good is. One of my favorite stories of the early church is in about 250, there's this plague that hit Rome called the Plague of Cyprian. And in the middle of that, it was really bad. About 5,000 people a day died. They started stacking bodies on bodies on bodies in Rome. And if you were sick, you got put on the curb with the people that had died. And people were fleeing that area, just running away. And there are, there are scholars and there are writers that weren't Jesus followers that talk about the beauty of Christians. And they said, all these people are fleeing, but Christians keep running in. They keep running in, knowing full well they're probably not going to be able to run out. That's an extreme story, but what it does in that moment is it shows everybody there that we die so that people might find life. It points people towards the greater narrative that's woven throughout all the scriptures. The death leads to life. It's done by Jesus and proven by us. So where are we dying so that we might truly find life? May we be that kind of community. <laughs> might we point people to the ultimate story? one of God who died for us so that we might live in and through the power of his spirit that dwells within us. Let me pray for us. God, I'm thankful that you call us to die because you call us to live. I'm thankful for God who died for us so that we might have a spirit that indwells us. I'm thankful for the greatest story of death to life in Jesus and that we can live that out each and every day. So show us. Show us where those places might be. Yes, man, just give us boldness when we find them. Give us people alongside of us that encourage us. And may we, in the everyday, have the ability to show people the beauty of what it means to follow Jesus, the depth of his sacrifice for us. Now we follow because we understand grace. And we follow with delight because God loved us. So may we be a people that die to truly live. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.